Well, grace and peace to you from God our Father. It is a great privilege to uh, be here today and to preach God's Word to us. Um, it's been exciting this week to consider this part of Colossians. We've been working through the letter of Colossians, and today we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 4. What is the Christian life? What does it look like? What is it about? Well, as we've been in the second half of Colossians over the last few weeks, we've seen that the source of the Christian life comes from heaven, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you turn to page 1184, page 1184, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it starts in this way. Since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. The Christian life, the source of it, the empowerment of the Christian life, comes from heaven, from our unique relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing because the truth is that we all start as people who are born as, alien, uh, as alienated people, as enemies of God, far apart from him, alienated in the way that we think and uh, doing evil actions, the, the letter of Colossians tells us. And yet God in his amazing grace has stepped in history in the man Jesus of Nazareth and as Jesus uh, purposefully lived his life, going to die upon a cross, as his blood was shed, it was really to be a death that was saving of those who uh, were rebel sinners. We deserve the judgment of God, but he comes and takes our place so that God's wrath is poured out on Christ and so that we have now the ability, as we trust Christ, to have peace with God, that we're reconciled to God. And the Christian is one who has received this Christ Jesus as Lord. They've acknowledged that he is the boss, that he's in charge of their lives. They've submitted their lives under his lordship. They've by faith grabbed hold of him as their savior. And the Christian is one whose life has, has been intimately connected to Christ. When we trust Christ, this person of history becomes this living reality in our lives. The resurrected life of Christ flows into our life. And this is the wellspring. This is what empowers the Christian life. And we've been considering over these last few weeks the way that that dynamic shapes all our relationships. That the Christian life is not about uh, religious ceremonies. It's not about uh, eating certain foods and a sort of ascetic lifestyle or having sort of strange experiences that the Christian life is to be lived out in the everyday normal relationships of life. And after this high view of the, that Christ seated at God's right hand empowering the Christian life, the next relationship that he looked at was the relationships that we have one with another in, in the church. How we are to live out this ever-changing life of putting off the old life, putting on the new life in relationship together as the people of God. And that uh, together we are a people who are growing to be like Christ. 
that as we have a community, a church where the word of Christ dwells richly, where the peace of Christ rules, that we will be an ever-changing and growing people of God. And then from that church relationship, we then move to the family, kind of where we live a lot of our life. And, and, and the dynamic of the, of the Christ's life in us changes our roles in the household as husbands and wives and as parents and children. And then as we looked at the, at the verses that relate to uh, masters and servants, we saw principles of how it relates to us in our work lives as being employees and employers, that this life of Christ is lived out in our work, whatever that may be, whatever context the Lord has put us, whether that is uh, our role is to provide security in a shop or whether it is to be a surgeon, whether it is to be a, a mother at home, whether it is an accountant or a lawyer or, or whatever the Lord uh, has brought about in our lives, the work that we're doing is... A, our sphere where we can worship him and live out this life of Christ in community. That whatever job and role that we have, we can do it as serving Christ. And so it is an exciting vision of the Christian life, a very practical vision that shapes every aspect, every sphere of our lives. Uh, This is what the Christian life is like. And now as we turn to chapter 4 and verse 2, we're going to see how it relates to uh, people who are not Christians. By God's amazing grace, we who are outsiders have become insiders into the people of God to be part of his kingdom. And the question then is, well, how do we relate to those who are now still outside of his grace, to those who are not Christians? It is a significant thing for us to consider, isn't it? Uh, We've thought in the past how we're living really in a city where at the most about 5% attend any sort of Christian church. And so I presume from that that those who are not attending church are are most likely not in Christ. are still outside of God's grace. 450,000 people in this city alone. How are we to relate to these many non-Christian people as Christian people? I think we have to say that we feel a bit guilty and a bit uncertain in our evangelism. I've been here for six and a half years and many of you have honestly shared with me your struggles with regard to this topic of evangelism and how are we to respond how are we to relate inside of us we deeply long that people would trust Christ don't we if you know how good Christ is if you know how precious he is you want to share it and yet we feel we're so rubbish at sharing it we struggle to know what part we we are to play And I know that some of you have said to me that when I talk, or Liam talks, one of the preachers here talks about getting the message out, being on mission for Jesus, talking about evangelism, that uh, it just makes you feel guilty because you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You you don't know what you're being asked to do. There's kind of two extremes, isn't it? Are Are we saying that every Christian 
that their responsibility is to share the gospel with every person that we meet. Is that what we think the mission is? Are we supposed to be like Manic Street preachers? Um, that's, that's a little hip reference to the young people there. <laughs> not that young, really. It, they're not so big as they used to be. But anyway, are we supposed to be like Manic Street preachers who take every opportunity? You know, we, as soon as we get on the bus, we, we walk down and we stand and we give a little gospel presentation to the whole bus. Are we to hand a gospel leaflet to every person that we meet? Uh, is that what we are saying that every Christian should be like? Well, I think many of us feel that maybe that's what is being said and we feel very guilty because we're not doing that. Is, is that the expectation? Or there's another view which is to say that, well, no, actually the, the approach is, is, is different to that. Uh, there are... Um, that's a, a sort of an unnecessary burden to put on the conscience of every believer. It's just the job of specialists. It's just the job of evangelists and pastors to be proclaimers of the gospel. And uh, if you're not an evangelist, if you're not a paid minister, then you can basically safely switch off whenever the preacher mentions evangelism and sharing the gospel because few, it's got nothing to do with me, Right? It's got, we're very glad for you, pastor, that you get on and do it. But uh, I can just switch off because evangelism's got nothing to do with me because I'm not an evangelist. So this is where I switch off and have a little sleep. My job is just to live a godly life and, uh, you know, I'll keep putting money in the bag so that you can do it. That's the other approach. Now, which is right? Which is right? Well, what does God have to say? So let's, let's read uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, page 1184. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. This is God's word. Well, these verses split into two parts. In verses 2 to 4, it is about talking to God about people. And verses 5 and 6, talking to people about God. There's the two sections that we're going to consider this morning. So firstly, talking to God about people. Before we start talking to people about God, it's striking that the first priority is that we do talk to God. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We will not see the gospel of Jesus Christ have any significant impact on this city of Edinburgh without prayer. This is the number one priority for the church if we desire to see Christianity have an impact in this nation. 
when God's Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This word devoted is not about intensity, but it's about persevering in the habit of prayer in our lives. Prayer is the standard and integral feature of the life of a Christian. It's what godly Christians do. They pray. And we should pray with watchfulness and thankfulness, it says. Now, what are we to be watchful for? Remember the opening verses of chapter 3. Look at verse 4 again. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are living with watchful expectancy for the day that Jesus Christ appears in glory. The Bible tells us that just as Christ came the first time, he's coming again. And this time, he will come in full glory to bring in his everlasting kingdom. And so the Christian is to be one who prays with that eye to the future of the coming king. With that certain knowledge that history is heading somewhere. That God is working out a great big plan where he is bringing about his glorious kingdom. And he prays, or she prays, in light of that coming kingdom. We know God's big plan. And so we should pray in line with that. This is what the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, wasn't it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the starting place. Before we get to the important prayers for Lord, can I have some bread each day? Uh, and please forgive my sins. It begins with this priority to pray for the coming kingdom. To pray for the return of Christ, to pray in the light of the return of Christ, to have eyes to see that we live in this unique time in history where we can call rebel sinners to find amnesty, forgiveness, and reconciliation with God before Christ returns. And we pray in the light of that. Pray with watchfulness and pray with thankfulness. As we pray for people in the light of the return of King Jesus and as we see him answering prayer and people repenting of their sin and putting their trust in Christ, what does that do for us? Well, it, it does fill us with thankfulness, doesn't it? And, and we are to be, to be those sort of people that are praying with that clear-sighted vision that it's people's lives that matter that eternity is long, that this is a short time of opportunity, and we pray in the light of that, and we thank God as we see him answering our prayers as people come and put their trust in him. And so before we talk to people about God, we need to talk to God about people. Whether that be our spouses, our children, our parents, our neighbors, our work colleagues, our friends. Successful evangelism, where people become Christians, is not something that's achieved by merely putting on entertaining events with hilarious or super intelligent speakers that are going to wow people. Uh, that's not how people are going to be saved. 
They're going to be saved as God works, empowering the proclamation of his gospel. And so we need to be people who pray. See, the problem that holds people back uh, is a spiritual problem. People live in thick darkness of alienation from God. They're enslaved in sin, we've been learning in Colossians. They're, they're people under Satan's domain. And so only God can rescue us and bring us into the kingdom of his son. Of his son. And so we must be devoted to prayer. So let me ask you practically, what's your plan this week for when you're going to pray? Do you agree with me that the Christian life we're called to be devoted to prayer? Is that, do you see that? Have I made that up? It's in the Bible, right? So what are we going to do this week? What's the plan this week? Don't get depressed about last week. That's gone. Forget about it. You know? What, this week, what's the plan? When are you planning to pray this week? Is it before breakfast? For me, I have to have at least a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee. After you've had a cup of coffee, before breakfast? Or is it when you're going to walk to work? Are you going to pray as you walk to work? When are you planning to pray for specific people this week? Or maybe it's when you get back from work, before you put the food on. When is it you're going to plan to pray? He he does want to hear about our needs and concerns. That's important. But remember, he's returning. The Lord Jesus Christ is returning. So who are the specific people that you are bringing before him in prayer? Who would you love to, to see Come and fill up these seats here at Charlotte Chapel. It's, it's half-term week, so people have shot off. So we've got some spaces. Would, who, who would you love to see sitting here in a few weeks' time? Who are the names you're praying for? It's helpful maybe to have a little bookmark with their names on them. Put it in your Bible just to remind you to, to keep bringing them before the Lord in prayer. Or if you're a smartphone person, you can create a list on your smartphone, couldn't you? If, book bar, if you don't have a Bible because you've got it on your smartphone, do a little note on your smartphone. You can do a little reminder. It can ping up and remind you at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Pray for whoever it's going to be. And then Paul says, especially pray for him. He lets us know in verse 3 that he is in chains. He's either under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, or he's locked up in a prison and, he, and he's locked up for talking about Jesus. Now, if that was you, if you were locked up, if you were in chains and you were writing to your friends, asking for them to pray, what would your prayer request be? What would you pray for? Please pray that. Well, look what he prays for, verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Isn't that remarkable? He's in prison for talking about Jesus. That's why he's in there. That's why he got into this pickle. And so what does he ask them to pray for? He says, prayed that I'd have opportunity and clarity to keep talking about Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? His ambition is he just wants one more great opportunity to talk about Jesus. He asks for opportunity 
and clarity. He doesn't say, look, pray that there may be an open door for the prison for me to walk out of the prison. I think I'd be asking for that, wouldn't you? He says, pray there will be an open door for our message. That the, 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 the mystery of Christ, the good news of Jesus would, would get out and have an impact on others. Extraordinary. And pray that when I get that opportunity, that I would speak it clearly. Now what's the implicit understanding behind this? There's a few things I can think of. Number one, prayer changes things. Why else does he ask them to pray? God responds to our prayers. And that's why Paul asks them to pray. Secondly, God is at work setting up opportunities for people to hear about Jesus. I think this is so encouraging. God prepares a way for the gospel. He opens the door for the gospel to go through into people's lives. God is at work a long time before I'm called to partner in what he is doing. And the Bible tells us that God is at work both creating opportunities uh, for people to hear, but also respond to the gospel message about Jesus. In the book of Acts, we read of Paul uh, sharing the gospel with a businesswoman called Lydia, who hears the message from Paul, and it says this, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And so she believes and is baptized. Isn't that wonderful? God is at work creating opportunities both for people to hear and to respond to the gospel. But notice this, God uses us. God empowers us to actually take those opportunities and share the gospel. So when the door of opportunity comes, Paul asks, pray that I'll take this God-given opportunity and proclaim the gospel clearly. And uh, this last point maybe is for people who are given that opportunity to proclaim the gospel. I'm encouraged that Paul needs God's help to be clear. Right? Uh, Being clear and simple is not easy. And so God is there to help us be clear and simple. And so he says, pray for me that, I, that God would enable me to take those opportunities. So what's the Christian church called to do as they relate to outsiders? First thing is, I've only been given about oh, 20 minutes to this. I've obviously haven't been praying enough for clarity. What's the first duty of the church to do? Oh, praise the Lord. Wonderful. Good. Pray. Pray for others in line with God's big plan in the return of Christ. And, and our prayers, pray for those that God has called as gifted evangelists and preachers to communicate that gospel. Ask God to give opportunities for the gospel message to impact people in the city and in the world. And pray for those proclaimers to have the courage to take the opportunities and to be clear. That's really what we should be praying for. For Well, you can pray that for the preacher every Sunday at Charlotte Chapel. You could, we should be praying that for our mission partners. Let's pray that for those who are running our Christianity Explored courses and glad you asked and things like that. We should, that's what we should be praying for. But I want us to see this morning that this does not mean that if we are not evangelists, 
or preachers that we can merely switch off when we hear about evangelism and gospel mission. Because we're also called not only to pray, but we're called to talk to God, uh, talk to people about God in verses 5 to 6. Now, I want us to pay careful attention to this, and I think this probably has been a fresh thing for me this past week. It is to see that the non-evangelist has a subtly different way of engaging with the outsider than the evangelist. And Dick Lucas puts this in, uh, puts it this way in his commentary. We may describe this difference by saying that while the apostle looks for many opportunities for direct evangelism and teaching, the typical Christian in Colossae is to look for many opportunities for responsive evangelism. Do you get that? That's what we see here, that the, uh, the apostle is saying, pray that I'd have opportunities for direct evangelism. But what he's teaching the Christians in Colossae is to be ready for the many opportunities for responsive evangelism. See, what's the command to the church? Well, verse 5, it is to live wisely. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Isn't it encouraging that uh, we are commanded to live our lives not seeking to look foolish and odd? Some Christians try their best to look foolish and odd, but you know what? It tells us to live wisely and not foolishly as we relate to those who are outside of the kingdom. Now, while I understand and respect the passion that anyone would have if they got up on a bus or a train and started preaching to the whole carriage or the whole bus to uh, captive listeners, I think it would look very odd and it would lack wisdom for how to get a proper hearing for the gospel. In fact, harm can be done putting people off Christianity when people keep plowing on against entrenched apathy. And God's word to us through the Apostle Paul is firstly to conduct ourselves in life according to wisdom. Colossians 2 verse 6 and 7 is the key motto verse for this whole letter. Just as we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, we are to continue to live our lives in him. And we've been thinking all the way through this letter of the wisdom of how to live our life in him. And all the wise things it's been telling us about the way we relate to each other as Christians in his church is also true for the way we are to relate to those who are not Christians. So for example, in chapter 3, we've been told to relate to each other with compassion and kindness and humility. And really, that is the wise way we're also to relate to those who are not Christians. And as we seek to live out our lives as Christians in this city, mixing with people who are not Christians, as they get to know us, as they get to know of our church, as they get to know about our marriages and our family life, people will ask us questions about why we are different. They will. And that is when Uh, Those who are non-evangelists should be ready to talk. Ready 
to grab hold of that opportunity. We are called to be wise and bold. I think the King James translated this as redeem the time, which is the motto my dad kept putting into my ears as I grew up. Redeem the time. Buy up the opportunities. Make the most of the opportunities that come to you. Uh, it, it, it is doubtful whether you're going to have opportunities every single moment of the day in your job, in your life. In fact, you've got work to do. You've got things you've got to do. But there are moments that will come. Opportunities will knock. And that, my friends, is the time when you are to talk to people about God. When you are to be bold and grab hold of the opportunities that God serves up to you. We're called to be wise and bold. New Christians have um, the ability to be bold, but sometimes lack wisdom. The problem with older saints is they tend to be wise, but not very bold. And we're called to do both. Uh, We're called to have a passion that's persuasive. We're told to have a confidence that is considerate as we deal with people who are not Christians. And when we do speak to ensure that our words are always gracious. It says here, full of grace. And it says, seasons with salt. Um, commentators are not fully 100% sure what the season with salt bit, bit means, but I don't know about you, but when I get my chips, what makes them tasty? It's a bit of salt, isn't it? A bit of salt makes things tasty. And I think it's encouraging us to be gracious but to have a bit of taste, a bit of interest, uh, a bit of uh, winsomeness in the way that we answer people when we're asked. I'm sure I'm not the only person here who's been asked why we're moving to a bigger church building. Have you been asked that question? Uh, It happened to me only two weeks, uh, in the last ten days. Uh, somebody was asking, why is it that you as a church are going to a bigger building? This is unheard of. If it's not happened to you yet, it's going to happen to you over the coming weeks. Why is your church moving to another building? Is, is that likely to be a question? My friends, when that question comes, there's your opportunity. There's your opportunity. There's an open door. It's being served up to you. Ready for you to smash? Are you ready to give an answer? What's your answer going to be? Have you thought of your answer? What are you going to say? Can I encourage you to think about saying something about Jesus? At that point, say something about Jesus. I don't know, you could say something like, well, because... Jesus is still changing people's lives. And that's what's happening at our church. Why don't you come along? It doesn't have to be a mega long statement, but say something that might go, what? Make them think? Or you could say, do you know, every week I go to church, I learn amazing things about God in this world. There's so much in the Bible. Why don't you come and listen to what, what it has to say? Would you like to come? I think we've even got some cards, haven't we? We've got some cards for the, the 12th and the 13th. That would work, wouldn't it? We're saying farewell. We'll have some, guess what? We're going to have some cards when we get to the other side too. 
some great opportunities coming up. So just as you, I want you to feel relieved that we're not expecting you to go onto every single bus and stand up and say, now before I sit down, can I tell you about Jesus? You're relieved that we're not telling you to do that. But I, I, I want you to not sort of just switch off and think, well, evangelism is for other people, for evangelists and, 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 and pastors. It's not for me. No, I want you to live out what we've been learning in Colossians chapter 3 and 4. And as we do this as a church, people are going to ask us why we're different. And my friends, when we get those opportunities, redeem the time. Make the most of it. Grab hold of it. Tell them something about Jesus. Invite them to come along. Some great opportunities are coming. We don't have to be religious nutters who uh, non-Christians avoid because we're so embarrassing. But we are called to pray for opportunities for the gospel message to get into people's lives. And we're called to live wisely in obedience to Christ so that It'll provoke people to ask us, why are we different? What's motivating the way that you live? And that's when we're called to engage in responsive evangelism. I just think that this week is full of exciting possibilities and opportunities. If we pray, who knows what opportunities God might serve up for us this week so we can smash it and tell them something about Jesus. How exciting. A friend of mine, Russ, was asked by one of his fellow sales team, why are you so often joyful, even when the sales have not been going that great? Russ responded, do you really want to know? And they said, yeah. No, Russ said, do you really want me to tell you why? And they go, yeah, 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 I really do. Tell me why. And he said, well... It's because I've put my trust in Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. And so I know the biggest issue of my life is solved. And so whether the sales are up or down, it doesn't take that away from me. That's great, isn't it? That's great. Let's be ready. Let's be prepared. Let's be bold as well as wise. Here in chapter 3 and 4 is, is both a pattern for the Christian life. And actually, as I've been thinking about it, here is our mission strategy as a church. We've been thinking as a staff team, what's our mission strategy? And it just struck me this week that actually it's Colossians chapter 3 and 4. Here is our mission strategy as a church. The source is heaven. Empowered by the risen Christ. The sphere is here on earth, uh, worked out through a church where Christ's word dwells richly, a community of love and holiness. It's seen practically in loving marriages and homes where children flourish, and it's commended uh, by people who are good employees and good employers. Where together we pray for the message of Christ to gain access into people's lives and pray for people to proclaim it clearly. And it's where we live wisely and boldly, responding to people's questions and comments and make the most of the opportunities that God has given us. A Christian life like that will be fruitful, and a Christian church like that will grow and have a very positive impact on the city and society where it exists. Isn't that exciting? 
That's all we've got to work on, folks. And we can do it together. Let's seek God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work as we grow in our knowledge of you. Father, we ask that you would open doors of opportunity for this glorious message of Christ to walk into people's lives. We ask that you would help us to live wisely so that we might be able to answer everyone who asks us for the hope that we have. Lord, give us the courage to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope of glory. In his name we ask it. Amen.